Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and for the second time this season, we're showcasing tag team partners. This time, I'm joined by two female leaders in commercial real estate who are driving growth for US-based space-as-a-service brand, Office Evolution. Chief Marketing and Development Officer, Andrea Parati and Director of Real Estate, Emily Larson, join me today to share why they believe commercial real estate is no longer in the property business. Andrea says commercial real estate is now in the people business. And as an industry, we need to move our mindsets from B2B to H to H. That's human to human. I love Andrea's talk on winning hearts and minds. It's so easy to be inspired when she speaks. And I think we can all gain insights into how Office Evolution is growing their brand across U.S. suburban markets through franchise and asset owner partnerships. Landlords are no longer asking if they need spaces of service in their portfolios and are now asking how to deploy it. So Emily shares her advice for landlords who want to get it right. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or email podcast at wordbold.co. One final note before we get this episode started. Andrea and Emily joined me remotely from Denver, Colorado and Fairfield, Connecticut, respectively, and we've had a few seconds of static here and there. We'd usually edit that stuff out, but the content was just too good to cut. So I hope you don't mind bearing with us. Now, let's go get inspired. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Parker, and today I'm joined by not one, but two space-as-a-service veterans who are growing the Office Evolution brand across the United States. And they're doing this by deploying the franchise and management agreement models. We have Emily Larson, Director of Real Estate, and Andrea Parati, who is Chief Development Marketing Officer for the company. Emily has been part of the Office Evolution team for nearly 12 years and helped launch franchising for the brand back in 2012. She's had a hand in the real estate and design of every single one of their 72 locations, both company-operated and franchise-alike, and she built out the real estate and construction department and foundational processes to support the franchise growth. Now, Andrea started her career in the music industry, then found herself at some little-known company called Regis, where she was the global head of marketing and member of the leadership team that grew the company from $200 million to $1 billion in revenue. She's run sales, marketing, and provided advisory services for over 900 co-working locations around the world across 65 countries. She says she likes to grow things, which is presumably why she joined the Office Evolution team. And speaking of growing things, she's given birth to two children in one year who are not twins. How's that even possible? <laughs> almost, almost as impressive, four of the companies that she provided advisory services to have had successful exits. So welcome to the Work Bowl podcast, ladies. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. <laughs> awesome intro. <laughs> well, thank you for joining, um, joining me today. Now, I have to say, uh, you're listening, you can't see this, but um, normally, you know, I wear my black shirts um, for, for Bold because that's on brand. Uh, and today, Emily had a white shirt and Andrea had a black shirt, and I had to mix it up with a little bit of color with a red shirt. So here's your visual to start the episode. <laughs> um, anyway, Andrea, you know, you and I have known each other for probably longer than we want to admit. And we both spent our own time with Regis. And um, I remember back in the DC days where you came down, um, I think you were in the 
New England somewhere, but you came down to D.C. and you gave this great presentation for GWA at Advantage Business Centers. Uh, we go way back, and I think what our audience is going to most benefit from is, is your experience going through the previous economic downturns. So I'm especially right now in the times that we're in. I'm wondering if you can share some of the parallels to the past that you're seeing today. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to tell you, it seems like yesterday that we were at that session. There was quite a good turnout, too. Um, you know, history does indeed repeat itself. And we're going to just have to take a look at four key groups that are impacted during turbulent times. So you look at enterprise or large corporations, you look at their employees, small business, and then building owners or landlord or asset owners. So enterprise first. For most companies, Caleb, uh, facilities cost is their second largest fixed uh, line item behind people. So these bricks that are on the balance sheet are super fixed, like 10 to 20 years fixed. So here's what happens. During turbulent times, enterprise sheds people, right? They let people off. So they save some costs. But then they're left behind with a tremendous amount of vacant workspace that they're paying for, but not using. And when you look at the total cost of occupancy for one person, let's say, well, it used to be around 18,000, but let's say now it's about $10,000 more or less per person. That's per a year. bunch of, per year, per year, thank you. It is a bunch of wasted space and a bunch of wasted money. So. What happens is the C-suite starts looking at it uh, and saying, hey, wait, we've got an entire portfolio of fixed leases and this doesn't really make sense. And we're not, um, you know, it doesn't put us in a position to align our workspace with our business needs. And, and they're looking now to real estate or facilities to say, you know, there's got to be another solution. And it happened in the Great Recession and it's happening again. And so then you look at their people, right? So you've got enterprises laid off all these people and you now need to figure out they've, they're collect their pink slips, they collect their unemployment, and then they're like, you know what? I gotta put food on my table. I gotta get back to work. And, but there's no work available. So what do they do? They start new businesses. And new businesses are starts are fueled during turbulent times. And in fact, I just heard a stat that said that they're up uh, a minimum of 50% year over year. In fact, I heard somebody say that they're up, up uh, 100%. So now what happens? So now people are out of work and they can't go back to the office and they can't stand to share their internet or their workspace or their mind space during the day with their significant other or their kids or their cleaning people or their pets, they need a solution. And finally you have landlords or asset owners. And you know, they're like, I need to reduce risk. And these guys in co-working are making a whole bunch more uh, revenue on a rent to revenue ratio. Maybe they got something going on here. And so all these groups, you've got, this, you've got enterprise, you've got small business, you've got remote workers, you've got landlords and they're thinking, there's got to be a more strategic, cost-effective, and viable solution, you know, for me to address my facilities, for me to address my workspace. And hence, our category thrives. All of these driving forces make our category thrive during turbulent times. And we're seeing it right now. Yeah, we are. And I, I think we're all, uh, you know, I share your view of the future and, and, and the optimism that we, we have coming out of 
the crisis that we've been in these past six, seven months. But if you look at the history of serviced offices, co-working, executive suites, I'm going to wrap it all into space as a service. The sector historically has stayed a tiny fraction of the overall office market. But it's projected that the number of spaces were going to grow from 20, up to 20,000 globally this year. Um, and, and by 40,000, by 2024, so just over the next three or four years, we're going to double in size um, as, a, as a percentage of the, of the overall office sector. So why do you think now we're seeing such a massive growth? Yeah, this is a brilliant question. Caleb, do you remember the Got Milk campaign? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So this was launched back in 1993, and all the milk farmers band together to grow a category because they couldn't do it on their own. So when we birthed the category, rebirthed the category with Regis in 1999, there was only one voice there that was able to do it. And we were speaking to an audience that was really wasn't loving what it is that we had to say. So there was one voice to educate enterprise, one voice to educate small business, one voice to educate landlords, and one voice to educate our gatekeeper to most of this audience and our paying customers, and that was the brokers. So first, what's different now? Now there are many voices building the category, and it's very cool. So regardless of what anybody says about WeWork, they serve a purpose and a big one. They made office space sexy. They opened up the floodgates to an untapped audience. They raised category awareness, building off of Regis's coattails. And they allowed other brands also to sing and to grow and to flourish. And the amazing fact is, as a result of that, now major brokerage firms who were mostly resistant to the category, ironically, are also coming providers. The second thing is, Caleb, is you got to follow the money. Always follow the money. So for a typical enterprise, and I talked about this a moment before, the average occupancy cost, total occupancy cost per person, you know, $8,000, $10,000. If you think about your own behavior, right, I'm never at my desk, except now I'm on a lot of Zooms. But mostly in the real world, you're traveling, you're in meetings. And so there's a stat that says that you're sitting at your desk 50% of the time. So 50% of the time, that office is sitting empty right? And so now when you look at the amount of money that enterprise is paying for office is sitting empty, it's astounding. Now follow the money to the asset owners. They can now de-risk their asset, they can better monetize the space, and they can provide a feeder for their traditional space. And truthfully, there is no other viable option, as we know, for smaller business. So you've got now all these folks having an eye on growing the category, the using the category, and, and seeing the category as a strategic solution rather than a potential necessary evil. It's a great time. You know, you, you talk about the history of, of going back to how the category keeps getting rebranded, and you know, now we're talking about space as a service. And the last, um, the last persona that you described uh, the, the small business and, and how this is a great solution for small business. But small business has been the bread and butter for our sector for decades. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've also seen enterprise customers um, deploy Flex historically when they've entered new markets. So I'm curious, like now that now that this is a good time, looking ahead, how do you expect the customer, I'm going to call it pie chart, how do you expect it to look and why? 
Okay. And we've been talking about this. We've been touting this from the rooftops, or I have for the last 20 years, right? Enterprise should put 20% of their space in flex space. I did full page ads in the business journals in the Wall Street Journal, you know, um, that how what a tremendous opportunity this is for um, for enterprise to align their workspace with their business and work style needs, right? So let's put it this way. The ca our category, I just read a recent article that our category co-working space as a service represents 521 million square feet globally. So if we asked, let's say we went to GE, okay? And GE employs 205,000 people, right? And on average, and, and our category does this a lot more efficiently, we can, you know, we can house people for about 50 square feet per person. But on average... The typical corporation will spend will um, utilize as 150 square feet per person. Okay, so mm. for illustrative purposes, let's say if we do the math, 205,000 people times 150 square feet per person. Let's say GE has 31 million square feet of office space. Okay, if they put 20% of uh, their space in uh, workspace as a service or space as a service, they're going to take up three million of it. Okay, so take 16 of the Fortune 500 who follow suit, and that pie chart sure shifts, right? Mm, yeah. We don't have enough space globally, any of us, right? If you, in aggregate, that exceeds the 521 million, all right? Is that going to happen soon? It's challenging because of what we talked about in that they all have these legacy leases, right? So they have to slowly turn themselves out. So if there's an anom anomaly, right, if there's something crazy happens and enterprise sees the light and they start to put 5, 10, 15, 20 percent of their portfolio over um, uh, in in space as a service, then holy cow, we're going to see a big shift in that pie. So, something uh, crazy, something crazy like a global pandemic. Right. <laughs> something <laughs> like that, you know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, Moody's is predicting that office vacancies are going to hit an all time high in 2021 with CBDs being the hardest hit. So, yeah, we could be seeing that shift. It's been it's taken a long time, uh, but we could see that shift. Well, I, I, so on the podcast this season, we interviewed um, Joanna Turner from Canada Life Investments and uh, – sorry, Canada Life Asset Managers. And they have 32, 37 billion pounds of um, assets across the UK. And um, they – she talks about the future uh, of commercial real estate and, and also the future of working. She does not expect – a no matter what the headlines say, she does not expect a decrease in, in demand for offices. Uh, but what she says is that landlords need to evolve their assets to get ready for hybrid working. The use is going to change. And so is that what you're thinking as well? Caleb, I've been saying for a long time now that the real estate model in the way that it is, is it is fractured. It is crumbling. And when you look at it on a good day, as we talked about, space is being utilized 50 percent of the time. On a bad day, there's a global pandemic and hundreds of thousands of people are relegated to work from home and an untold sum of money is being thrown out of the window. To top it all off, workers' productivity is, has been totally snuffed. And 
what other function of the business would allow you to run this inefficiently? I mean, I don't get it. If I ran this inefficiently from a development and from a marketing standpoint, I can assure you that I would be fired. And, you know, there is no other function in the business that cannot align the um, the department with the needs of the business. And that's what's happening. So from an asset management standpoint, building owners are fast seeing that there are strategic moves to be made that will enable them to better monetize and enhance their asset. And having a shared space inside a building, number one, as we've talked about it in very practical terms, it enables the building to have a feeder for uh, companies that are growing but don't yet have the uh, need to take on a uh, you know a large uh, footprint in in the building. Number two, it adds as a benefit to the building because of overflow space. It can provide swing space. It can provide uh, project space. And in addition, it's it's almost like having a gym inside because you can go in and you can have. Um, Many of these where you can just sit and get away from your, you know, your standard, uh, you know, four walls and and have refreshments and coffee and potentially administrative services as you want. So there's all sorts of ways to for the building, for the asset to enhance their performance with a shared space inside. And, you know, it's interesting on the brokerage side, every broker from CBRE to JLL to Avinson Young, et cetera, are recognizing that they must include space as a service into portfolio planning for their enterprise clients. And I will go out on a limb to say that if they do not, if they can't wrap their heads around total cost of occupancy and they can't wrap their heads about how to advise their enterprise clients to strategically incorporate space as a service into their portfolio, then they are missing their fiduciary responsibility. Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, you know, Dave Kearns came on the podcast also this season, and um, he's with CBRE up in Toronto. And he talks about some deals that are being done where the enterprise customer is bringing a space as a service operator to the table with them to the transaction with the landlord and selling the landlord that in order to do the deal, they also have to do the deal with the space as a service operator because they need access to that space for overflow or for it to, you know, to grow into whatever it might be. Um, so that just sort of brings me back to more practical questions for you. Um, since you are working with landlords and um, I, I just want to circle back to office evolution for a moment. You know, I understand you guys partner with both entrepreneurs, but also landlords to open um, space as a service businesses or these shared office footprints. Can you give an overview of how you support these two categories? I love that question. I have been talking a ton and Emily is our expert in that area. So Emily, I'm going to hand that one off to you. Absolutely. Sounds great. Yeah. So Caleb, as far as the franchise side goes, um, you know, for franchising, we partner with, like you said, local entrepreneurs. A lot of our franchisees nationwide are either ex-corporates or they might want to be ex-corporates sometime soon. So, so they join us as a franchisee to you know, help along that path. Um, and they're really fun to work with because they actually are our target market. So our target market, um, as far as our, all of our locations goes, you know, we are primarily a suburban model. Um, we're looking to service folks who live in the suburbs. You know, they're probably established businesses. They're maybe entrepreneurs. They might be solopreneurs. Maybe they've got you know, three to five employees. And they really want that convenience of working close to home, ideally not at home, but close to home. You know, they want to be able to leave the office quickly to 
catch their kids uh, baseball game or to, you know, step out and have lunch with a client, that kind of thing. So um, that's kind of our, our target market as a whole. We look for um, sizes ranging from eight to 12,000 square feet for our business centers. And we feel like that size allows there to be a community, what we call the Ohana. Um, but also it, it sort of disallows for anonymity. We don't want to be so huge that our clients are getting lost on the hallways as they look for their offices. So we're looking for first floor space if we can get it. Uh, we really do build out our spaces pretty densely with offices, but of course we still have the shared amenities that everybody's used to seeing in space as a service. You know, we've got the conference rooms, we've got the break room, the mail and copy area, the reception, of course, and then what we call the drop-in space, which is essentially our co-working space. And for our clients, it's really all about convenience and accessibility. So back to that first floor presence, you know, we would give up the views of an upper floor for the ease of access of the first floor all day long. Um, in a franchise model, you know, that we are the franchisor. So we're actually providing a ton of support to our franchisees so that they can do what they do best. Similar to the way that we provide a lot of back office support and the office itself to our clients so that they can run their businesses, we do the same for our franchisees. So um, we provide, you name it, real estate and design services, IT services, you know, client onboarding, IT support, telephone answering, marketing training, ongoing coaching, um, all kinds of stuff for, for our franchisees so that they can really focus on business development and customer service. They can focus on what they're good at and building that ohana in their in their space. Um, you know, expanding that to the second part of your question, you know, how do we partner with landlords? Really in a pretty similar way. There's a couple different ways that we can partner with landlords. Uh, one is, of course, they could just have our franchisee as a tenant. Um, that's always an option. Um, another is that they can essentially be the franchisee themselves, and we would provide all that same support. So it's actually called a licensing model, a little bit of a different fee structure and a, and a slightly different relationship than a typical franchise model, um, but but kind of the, the same path where the landlord would be our licensee and they would operate the business themselves. And then the third option is a management contract where we can actually do the operating for them, of course, bring all of our, our wealth of experience and all of our support services, but we would actually operate the center and then work on kind of a fee split model with them. Thank you for sharing that, Emily. This this is really interesting. And when you talk about the target markets being the suburban markets, um, did you purposely stay away from the CBDs? Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, going back to our clients and what they want and who they are and where they live and where they want to work, they don't want to be in a CBD. They don't want to commute. They don't want to pay to park. They don't want to, you know, drive 10 levels up in a in a parking garage to get there. So, yeah, absolutely. We're very, very intentional um, about being primarily in suburban and sort of tertiary markets. We will go into what we call kind of a quote unquote main street area. Um, I differentiate that from a CBD and that it's more of a kind of your small town main street in a, in a smaller market like a Boise, Idaho, for example. But yeah, absolutely. Avoiding the CBDs is very much a part of our plan. I, I like I like this because I'm just going to make a, a quick point on brand. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, with a brand, you, you, you're you purposely exclusive. Um, it's, it's not that you uh, tell other people that you can't come, but you, you've really focused on a specific persona and you guys have done that so uh commend you for that so you talk about the the clients as the franchisees um being these former corporates or soon to be former corporates who want to set up their own business in these suburban markets and what i guess what i what i also hear is you've got your customers the end users who presumably are in those markets anyway so is, is there a reason that you've you've sort of targeted they're almost the same customer you are so spot on. And it's really interesting because um, as 
in my role as chief development officer, it's my responsibility to expand our network. And one of the ways that we've, core ways, of course, that we've ex been expanding our network is through franchise. And when I speak with these prospective franchise owners, what I say to them is, and they ask me about the business, and I say, the beautiful thing is, is that you are going to be working with people on a day-to-day -day basis who are just like you. They are dreamers, they are risk takers, they are doers, and they are looking for a place to be inspired. They are typically 35 years and older. They're often married with children and they are want to live and work in the same town and they are weaved into the fabric of their community. And so we are, it is almost the exact same profile. You will see these people who are incredible business people. They will work really hard during the day and you might find that they leave at two o'clock to go pick up their kids from, uh, from school or to go watch a game and then they'll come back. Um, and you'll find that they're all servicing the same philanthropic efforts in town amongst the community. And that's why we built it, absolutely. We want, they live and work and fuel the growth of that local community. Yes. And, and that's the other part of the brand um, equation to me is, is the authenticity. And so you guys are enabling someone to set up their own business and, and deliver a brand that targets a customer that's just like them. So it enables that authenticity. So my follow-up question to that, which I mean, I'll just say, I commend you for that. That's fantastic. My follow-up question to that is when when you extend that into landlord partnerships, um, the landlord, are they are they the same persona or are they different? Because when I think about in landlords, there's there's the entrepreneur landlord and then there's the big institutional landlords. So is is there is there a difference between the the, the, the persona? And if there is, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that persona does translate directly over into the landlords. And, you know, we were talking before about, um, you know, really sticking to what you know and, and what you know you do best. Um, and we absolutely enjoy partnering with landlords that have a similar sort of culture in their building, in their head about what they want to what they want to see at their building. So, um, yeah, we you know, depending on how we partner with a landlord, that might answer the question a little bit differently. But assuming that they are either the licensee um, or, you know, in some way involved in operating the center, we'd, we'd look for a very similar type of profile as we would with um, the average franchisee or really the average customer. That makes sense. Uh, so, well, OK, let's just talk about the last six months. Um, how, how has business been affected? Um, you know, have you have you seen a revenue loss ac across the board? Are certain markets performing better than others? Um, j just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's it's so incredibly interesting that you say that. Well, first of all, just like every other um, shared space provider in the U.S., we are deemed an essential service because we deliver the mail. And so uh, every single one of our locations stayed open uh, during COVID. Um, the other thing is, is that since we run a single employee model, our floor plans, as Emily was saying, are a little bit smaller between eight and, you know, 10, 12,000 square feet. And because we offer back of house support, we enable a single employee model. Well, we didn't have any layoffs, right? And what happened was, was that we knew immediately 
that our small business um, owners needed to work, they needed to put food on their table, and they needed our support. And we actually launched this campaign that enabled us to wrap our arms virtually around our members. We sent them all, uh, many of them, uh, the Dreamers, Risk Takers, and Doers t-shirt that uh, you saw me wear earlier. <laughs> that you're <laughs> going to send me one. <laughs> that I'm going to send you one. And we said to them, listen, man, we're here for you. Many of you may not be able to come into the office, but we want to wrap our arms around you virtually. And we hope that you ex accept this t-shirt as a token of our, our desire to inspire you beyond our four walls. And, you know, it was all about helping our members to succeed. And we, it was incredibly interesting for me because while we saw other shared space providers anecdotally, um, you know, having a mass exodus of clients, and while we saw other shared space providers laying off, having massive layoffs, closing locations, we did not do that. Now, and things like you would see on social media, our members, if our franchisees posted on social media, several times I saw a post from our members saying, what can we do to help you? And so we were able to, as they say in politics, solidify our base, keep our arms firmly wrapped around our members. Um, what I will tell you is that quickly, uh, we saw our leads return to pre-COVID rates. Now, office and virtual came back first. Meeting room, you know, was a little bit slower because people were still concerned about how, how to meet. But we are we are back from a from a lead generation standpoint to uh, to pre COVID rates and we're closing deals. Well, that's interesting you say that. And I'm just you know Andrea, you've obviously worked with CBD locations in the past and and as well as you know currently and and across the board. Uh, do you think the the quicker return to office that you're seeing is because you guys are in suburban locations? One hundred percent. Caleb, I'm I'm going to interrupt you because I'm going to say a resounding yes. Check out our model, and Mark Hemeter could not have predicted this better himself. So check this out. Number one, mass exodus from CBD, right? You don't want to take public transportation, right? You don't, well, you can't go up the elevator because they only allow a few people in the elevator at once. So what do we have? Yeah. We, ha we have close to home, you drive in, you park, you walk over, and you can walk up to your office. We have Greetly with a virtually touchless entry. And then you have a small and contained environment of 10,000 square feet or less. And what does that mean? There's accountability. You know your neighbor, right? This is a tight-knit community. You've got the franchise owner who also lives in the community. Everybody's watching out for each other. And again, as Emily said, that by definition, we're social distancing because we have a high density of offices. So it's really several things that came into play for us that enabled us to be an incredibly viable option right now. Mm. Well, that's that's interesting to hear and, and, and glad glad to hear, actually. It's good news. Um, I want to go back to brand for a moment because uh, that is brand is something I'm very passionate about. And so on my LinkedIn recently, I posted that brand has never been more important in commercial real estate. And as we see more demand for space as a service, I believe commercial real estate needs to move from a B2B sort of sales and marketing and industry to a B2C. 
But you came on, Andrea, on my post, <laughs> and you commented <laughs> that it actually should be an H to H. So can you elaborate on that? I can. You know, one thing that we're doing here at Office Evolution is we're capturing hearts and minds one person at a time. One person at a time. Because we know that you're, you're going to do business with me if I can solve your problem. But if I can solve your problem and you enjoy being with me and you like me, then I'm going to eat you even better. I've solidified the deal, right? And so when we talk about capturing hearts and minds one person at a time, we have to look at the decision-making process for somebody who is going to buy or secure a membership to a shared space. And I've done thousands of uh, online questionnaires and hundreds of interviews of members. And I've said to them, hey, what is your decision-making process for choosing this particular co-working location? And inevitably, the thought process has three uh, points of decision. The first one is, do you have a location where I need to be? The second one is, can I afford you? And the third one is, can I envision myself working there? And in each one, there's a cerebral component to the answer to that question, and there's also a, vis a visceral component as well. So location is, you know, is you'd think that's all in your head, but the fact is location can be aspirational too, right? It can be convenient and aspirational. So you want to have the right location likely near their home, and you want it to be inviting. The cost factor is incredibly important. And this is where you really get into that human to human connection because cost for a small business owner is incredibly important. That person is literally taking cash out of their own pocket to, to pay for their office. That's money that they may not be able to invest in a car, a vacation, their kids' uh, braces. And so that becomes a very human decision because there's a, there's a pulling between what's right for the business and what's right for my family. And then can my envision myself working there? Well, the culture of the environment of the shared space is so incredibly important. You're spending 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week there as a member, and you want to make sure that we call it Ohana. We want to welcome our members into our Ohana. We want them to feel as though they're part of our family. And that's where the root of that human connection comes in. So it is human to human. Well, I, I love how this emphasis has been on small business because I think that this, the same H to H that you're talking about, um, if we go back to that pie chart in, in the growing um, use case and demand from enterprise, but also combine that with the flexible working and the democratization of workplace choice – People and I'm gonna I'm gonna use the hashtag that, that Dave Cairns over in Toronto at CBRE says vote with your feet hashtag vote with your feet as yeah. as as people start to vote with their feet and can choose where they work they're gonna it's the same sort of hearts and minds that you have to win in the enterprise it's no longer just about getting the HR or commercial real estate department or corporate real estate department on board it's about delighting people every day. And, um, it, and so I think what you're saying there to me resonates. The H to H is, isn't limited to the small business person. 
You're absolutely right, Caleb. It's not. And even those companies, you know, who have global SLAs, you know, global service level agreements, the large guys, the truth is they will lose out every day to the person on the local level who will simply charge the office to his or her card and make that transaction on a local level. And it's true. And when you're looking at these remote workers who can't go back to the office, but again, don't want to share bandwidth with their, ki- with the- bandwidth with their kids, are tired of the distractions, they're going to be voting also. And they're going to be choosing a workspace that's close to home, that meets their criteria, that captures their heart as well as their mind. And, you know, all things being equal, you're right. It is that brand connection that's going to make the difference. So presumably, a customer joins Office Evolution in one location. They have access to all locations. Is that right? Yep. 24-7 access to our, well, we have 140 units under development, 72 open right now in 25 cities. So they can access all of those. Yep. Okay. So it works for corporates. It works for small business. Um, Okay. So we've got a couple more questions as we wind wind this down. Um, And I'm curious, you know, you are working with a lot of landlords now. So what is your advice to asset owners who are looking to bring in space as a service into their portfolios? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things, you know, one thing kind of, you know, listening to you talk about hearts and minds reminds me of it is, you know, I would tell an asset owner to really choose a partner that fits you, you know, that fits not only your market, you know, where are your buildings? Are you primarily CBD? Are you primarily suburban? If it's the latter, give me a call. <laughs> um, you know, but really think about, think about the, how that match is going to be, because this is a long-term relationship, right? Or, or it can be at least, and it can be a really lucrative one for both sides. And so making sure that you've got cultural alignment, you've got alignment around the goals that you want, um, you know, for your building, for your, for your property, not all spaces of service uh, companies are created equally. Um, you know, there's different niches within the the industry for sure. So that's that's where I would start is make sure that you kind of do your you know do your legwork. I guess I'll say do your due diligence and really understand who you're partnering with. Um, you know, back to something we were talking about a little bit earlier on this on this podcast too was think about the building, think about your asset as a whole ecosystem. You know, don't just think about this space as a service portion. You know, this eight to ten to twelve to twenty thousand square feet as just another tenant, you know, it, it really is a part of this greater ecosystem. Um, Andrea was talking about, you know, can it be overflow space for your other tenants? Can it be swing space? Can it be feeder space for your larger spaces? Um, you know, it's also going to be seen as an amenity, you know, tenants these days, I mean, and really these days has been happening for a while, but I think we're all becoming more aware of it now. Tenants want choice, you know, they want to be able to select, sort of self-select their experience based on what kind of work they're doing at any given time. So having amenities including um, a co-working space or a shared space as a service is, is, is huge and that will attract other um, other tenants in your building as well. And then I think finally what I would say and this you know really speaks to OE and how we partner with with our landlords is play to your strengths and outsource the rest. you know I mean if you feel like you are going to be a great operator, um, if you maybe got a background in operating space as a service, that's great. Otherwise, leave it to us. Leave it to the experts who have been doing this. You know, we've been doing this since 2003. Uh, we're operators ourselves. We also oversee operations, like Andrea said, of 72 locations, a lot of which are franchises. So not only have we run these, but we've taught people how to run these. So, um, you know, I would say just really think about what, how involved you want to be and find a partner that's willing to fill in those gaps. That's, that's great advice. And I think um, it resonates with me 
Um, and, and what we've seen in the UK is a few years back when landlord the landlord community were thinking about space as a service, uh, it was, it, do I even want to lease to that footprint in the building? How is that going to affect my valuation? To then, okay, let's do the leases to now um, leases are actually considered a bit risky these days in, in, in over here in the UK in some instances um, if, if they're on SPVs. But um, but now they're, now the big question is not do we need space as a service in the building, but how do, how do we do it? Do we do it ourselves or do we partner with somebody? So I think the mindset is evolving in the landlord community, which is refreshing. Um, so I think that's great advice that you have, Emily. Um, okay, uh, wrapping this up before we dive into our quick fire round, uh, which is fun. Um, but what are you most optimistic about looking ahead into next year, 2021? I'll start on that. I mean, other than just, you know, being excited about 2021 because it's not 2020. Um, <laughs> I'm also <laughs> excited about just, you know, from an OE perspective, having more and more of these partnerships with with landlords and um, you know, we learn so much from our partners. I mean, yes, we've been doing this for a long time. And yes, we know what we're doing and we're doing it pretty dang well. But every single time we partner with somebody, somebody whether it's a landlord or a franchisee, we learn something new and we get to apply that. And um, I think Andrea would agree with me that we we pivot really well. We, you know, we like to take what we learn and adapt the model. We're, we're not so rigid in what we do that we don't uh, take those lessons to heart and, and make, you know, changes for the better. So for me, it's just, you know, growing the company with more and more of those those types of partnerships. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. I am crazy excited. You know, I think after two decades of doing this, we're at a really exciting tipping point, Caleb, to what you've been, you know, really leading up to. Um, corporates are coming on board. Brokerage is coming on board. Um, remote workers are now going to have a viable option at a local level to choose from. Small businesses have already been using us, you know, and I'm looking forward to uh, Emily finding more and more opportunities to expand our network from a, a landlord standpoint and our team on the franchise development side. And um, just wanting to inspire people with our powerful culture and provide them safe workspaces that are close to home. And I am and more of it. I love it. I love your optimism. I love I love the way you guys are thinking about it. So th thank you for sharing that. Um, I, you've heard the podcast. You, you you both listen. So you know what this quick fire round is. I probably don't even have to ask the questions, but I'm going to ask the first one is who inspires you in our industry? Who wants to take that one? Can I can I say five people? <laughs> you can say whoever you want to. <laughs> I'm going to say Carrie Gates. She founded, uh, she rebirthed GWA, in my opinion. Uh, she's head of sales and marketing for Barrister, who has been in this industry since it first started. She, she is posts a, all the time on Instagram. I love her Instagram posts. I love her Instagram posts. She is my, uh, she's, uh, and she's a real uh, champion for the industry and a champion for, for our colleagues. I would say Mark Dixon and Bob Goudreau, Mark the visionary, Bob who really made it happen. You're going to laugh, but I'm going to say Steve Jude because he is, um, when he launched CityBase and he launched uh, Freedom at Work and, um, and uh, Office Space Solutions for the Cost Conscious SME, it was a niche that had not been targeted yet. And I thought that he did that brilliantly. And I have to say Mark Hemeter. Again, his vision for this category and a niche that was so untapped, number one, 
And number two, a very powerful culture that he has built, developed, fosters, and really lives, and that we live amongst all of us in our ohana has really um, inspired me. So those are some pretty amazing people. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. Now we have to get everybody following them now. Uh, Emily, I want to give you the opportunity. Who Who inspires you in our industry? You know, I, I actually think of a gal in the more so the franchise industry um, than than this industry. Right off the top of my head, her name is Mary Kennedy Thompson. She's the COO of a company called Neighborly, and um, you might not have heard of Neighborly, but you've certainly heard of like Molly Maid and uh, Mosquito mm-hmm. Joe and Mr. Reuter. You know, it's the, kind of the parent company of all those. And I, I saw her speak at a franchise convention, oh, probably six seven years ago, and she was just she was just amazing. And to um, you know, I've kind of fangirled her ever since, to be honest. She just her operational expertise and being able to expand it to so many different product lines and be so poised and clearly well respected by her franchisees was was to me really, really inspiring. You know, franchising is a whole other business layered on top of uh, our core business, which is, is, of course, you know, space as a service. So um, I got to give got to give Mary the shout out. Excellent. OK, so what podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest trends in the sector? I will. I'd love to take this one. And Andre, obviously, feel free to chime in. I mean, I so not joking. I do listen to Workbold a lot. Um, I I yes. walk my dog a lot, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. And Caleb did not pay me to say that. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's that's really a big one for me. I listen to a lot of, of other kind of uh, specific podcasts. I love you know from a news perspective. I love listening to Up First. I also really like this gal, Emily Aries. She's actually based here in Denver, but I think she's from DC, and she runs a podcast called Bossed Up. Um, which I, I really love. It's kind of some good career advice, specifically from a, a female perspective. And then I like to go back to old episodes too of how I built this. I don't even know if they're creating new episodes of that, but I just find a lot of inspiration and uh, you know hearing about the kinds of dreams that some of these entrepreneurs have and what they turn into. And you know a lot of those people are our clients and our franchisees and maybe even our landlord partners. So I feel like there's a little bit of a, a camaraderie uh, going on between me and that's how I built this, folks. Those are, those are all the ones I listen to. Awesome. That's so cool. Andrea. You, 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 you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to say Andrea. <laughs> you. And, uh, you know, I, I love what, uh, you know, our industry favorites, right? DVWA sends out some good stuff. Juicy does, you know, all work. But the but I don't listen to podcasts that often because my dog is lazy and she doesn't like to walk. So <laughs> the one I do listen to is you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I feel honored. Thank you very much. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. So uh, a, a lighter question, um, but my my, fun, my favorite question is um, holiday destinations. And uh, so I'm curious, you know, where, where do you like to travel um, either cur- in current times or in general? I got you know Emily. Be a whole other. I, you, you know, before you answer that question, um, I, I I failed to say where you where you're both joining me from. So, where are you sitting right now? I Emily is sitting in Denver, Colorado, in my home office. Okay. And Andre, uh, where are you Andre, sitting? I am in Fairfield, Connecticut, right across the street from the Long Island Sound, in my home office. And I'm sitting in my home office in London. This is the virtual world that we're in. Okay, so now, so Emily, when you travel, do you prefer to like go skiing in the Rockies or are you want to fly somewhere? 
Uh, generally, I want to fly somewhere. I'm a, a huge fan of travel in general, but definitely international travel. Actually, when COVID hit, I was on an international trip, um, jumping between South America and South Africa. I had just got to Cape Town when sort of the, the world blew up and then I flew home. But yeah, I mean, wow. so the holiday, favorite holiday destination is such a challenging one for me because I almost never, I, I kind of try to avoid going to the same place twice. But I think if, and like I said, I could literally talk about this for another two hours. So <laughs> that could be a whole other <laughs> podcast. But um, one place that I love going to over and over again, and one of the few places um, would be the Riviera Maya in Mexico. I, my fiance and I are scuba divers and there's such cool scuba diving, especially um, off the island of Cozumel because it's drift diving. It's like you you literally are, are in a river under the ocean and it's just one of the craziest experiences I've ever had. So I think I'll, I'll, it's also really easy to get there from Denver nonstop. So that that's always great. So I think I'll, I'll keep going there repeatedly for hopefully the rest of my life. There you go. Oh, that's perfect. I, I, I was in Riviera Maya um, down in um, Tulum and um, in that area and saw all the iguanas. It was fantastic. Love it. Love it. Uh, Andrea, how about yourself? I know you're, you're a world traveler anyways. We like to travel, but I'm going to be a little less sexy because when I, you know, I've got kids that I'm bringing along with me. But I will tell you that the most um, uh, Thanksgiving in uh, London with a day trip to Paris was wonderful. And I was such, I, I, it was the most, it was the funniest thing. We had the idea to take the train to Paris for one day. So we swept the kids off the train. I brought them to the Eiffel Tower. We went to the top. Then we went to the Arc de Triomphe. Then we went to the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> and then we went to see for two seconds to get a photo in front of the Mona Lisa, and we left. <laughs> and so that was a whirlwind. <laughs> it was a whirlwind in one day, but it was um, it was lovely. It's always fun to be in Europe and have it all dressed up around. Even though it's Thanksgiving, they're still getting ready. It's the American yeah. holiday, but they're still getting ready for the holidays around that time, and it's nice. Yeah, and you're a fashionista, and it's cool weather, so it's easier to to, to dress really layered and, and amazing when you're in the cooler temps, anyways. Right. It's true. It's true. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your insights. Um, I really appreciate it. Be sure to look up Andrea and Emily on LinkedIn. We've put their uh, links to their profiles in the show notes uh, of the podcast today. Uh, thank you both for coming on. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. Yes. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.